When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Well, despite some of the rumors that perhaps I was incarcerated or going to rehab or whatever, it was just a vacation. Hello, everyone. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker, and we're off and rolling. And this, to me, is in a lot of ways the beginning of football season because we'll have coverage of SEC Media Days. We're going to start to get selections of uh, Tennessee players and other SEC players that will go to SEC Media Days. And then about a week later, you'll have practice starting. So this is the exciting time of year and excited to be back. It was uh, my last family vacation, Caleb, with uh, kids still in the house. So a little emotional today. If I tear up, that's that's my fault. That's on me, Caleb. So... But first of all, thank you for uh, filling in, you and Caleb Giroux and Josh Ward and the crew. I certainly appreciate it. I did get a little bit of sun. What do you think? Well, not as, so I took bets with everybody that came all last week over how red we felt you'd be when you got back. And you're not as red as we thought, believe it or not, or at least as I thought. So you almost look tan. Look at you. I, I do. I'm, I'm a weird ginger. I'm a weird ginger. And by the way, we bumped into some people – and they just said uh, randomly to my wife, are you with that blonde-haired guy? 
I'm like, what? I've got red hair. But the white is coming into the point that people think I'm a blonde now. So I hated being a redhead my whole life, and I accepted it, and I loved it, and now I'm not a redhead anymore. <laughs> That's so funny. See how um, it goes? But, yeah, eventually I'll be all white because red hair doesn't go gray at all, but uh, it just goes white. So welcome to everybody on the message board. I appreciate that. Uh, glad to have you on board already. And uh, so we've got a lot to get to, including some predictions as it is that type of year, time of year. And some people not as high on uh, Josh Heupel as I thought, which uh, surprises me a little bit. And some people questioning his offense as well. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Right now, it is time for today's tough question, and it has to deal with Tennessee's explosive offense. Will they be explosive or not? Here we go. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, so the Vols get some kudos. By the way, if you could hit that like and subscribe button, we'd greatly appreciate that. The Vols get some kudos as far as being one of the top 12 offenses in the nation. Caleb, that's that's pretty strong to me on, on face value for having a new quarterback at the helm. Not new, new, but you know what I mean. What did you think of them being in the top 12? I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, but... It's reaffirmation to me that Tennessee's considered one of the elite offenses after all they lost from last year. Yes, this is considered one of the top 12 explosive offenses in college football, and Tennessee being on the list does stand out. And it stands out in, in the article. This is this is by our man, Brad Crawford, 247. Dave, I don't know if you know, I gave I gave the guy a hard time last week because he wrote some things that just had to just had to criticize heavily. But this one is a good one. And what's brought up is Tennessee has – it's kind of underrated because, yes, they lost Hendon Hooker. Yes, they lost Princeton Fant. Yes, they lost um, I, I, their, their top two receivers and Darnell Wright. But on paper, they have – they returned eight guys that technically started a game last year on the offense. That And so, yes, they lost Princeton Fant, but they returned a starter at tight end at Jacob Warren. So, theoretically, they returned eight of 11 starters if you really think about it. And when you really consider the fact that Cedric Tillman was barely a starter last year anyway, they returned both whiteouts. So I thought about that, and it's the experience is there to suggest the offense should still should really pick up where it left off, honestly. And Joe Milton's the big question, obviously. I think what had, I think who replaces Darnell right at right tackle is a bigger question, but I still think Joe Milton is a, a pretty big one. But outside of those two issues, Darnell Wright and Joe Milton, I don't think there's a question about this offense this year. Um, really, other than Darnell Wright, if you want to phrase it like that, I don't have a, a big question. And and he, here's the other thing. You don't have a Will Anderson that you're going to play this year that you've got to stop. Is the, uh, the you, I don't know that there's an elite defensive end on Tennessee's schedule like a Will Anderson and like the kid from LSU. So, yeah, I think the Darnell Wright is – a significant loss. There's no question about it, but I think they can survive that. And I think they will survive that. I think what you're seeing about Tennessee getting named one of the 12 most explosive offenses. And I want to go through the list. It's one of two things. One, 
people really respect Josh Heupel and his offensive direction. Or two, it's people that were late to the party, right? So last yes. year they thought Tennessee was going to be like a 6-6 six and six team, and they were better. So now they don't want to be late to the party again. So you're going to see more of this. Who are some of the offenses rated ahead of them? And I'm curious, is top 12 too low? And hello, everyone, to the message board. And by the way, my bell did get posted. I did get out of prison there in uh, and, uh, beautiful, where was I? Panama City. Go ahead. So this actually doesn't take into account. This doesn't rate them. It just lists them all together. But other ones on there were LSU. Again, where this is the LSU Homer page, apparently, Dave. But I don't think that's shocking that they're on this list. No, let's go through the list real, uh, real quick if we can. So um, I actually believe I'm not a Jaden Daniels guy yet. I, I may be at the end of September. I, I mean, I like him. So I think Tennessee will be more explosive significantly, actually, uh, who will be a, a little bit more ground-based. Um, so I, I will say that Tennessee will be more explosive than them. You? Yeah, I'll say they'll be more explosive. I don't know if that necessarily means the offense will be better, per se, but I think it'll be more explosive. Agreed. All right, what do we got next? Next, we got Washington, which, again, don't sleep on Michael Penix Jr. Again, almost ended up at Tennessee and had committed to Butch Jones back in the day. Just imagine the magic Butch Jones could have done with him. <laughs> yeah, saved him all kinds of money on haircuts. Um, I think they'll be more explosive than Washington. I think so, too. Is, is there a thing with the Pac-12 North, though? Where oh, I, No, actually, I take that back. Pac-12 North actually has some defensive-oriented teams. You know, Stanford, now Oregon. So, yeah, they'll be more explosive. Uh, Penn State on the list. I'm not a James Franklin guy. I think yes. Tennessee will have a more explosive offense. But they are low. This is going to be the best offensive line Penn State's ever had. So, just saying, watch out for that. I just feel like every three years we get jazzed about James Franklin. Okay. Seems, okay uh, who else we got? Uh, Oregon. Uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I don't know Oregon's personnel well enough. Um, so I'm I'm going to abstain in that one. Who who are some SEC? Any other SEC? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're going to SEC a couple in, in a couple of seconds. Uh, I was just naming them, but I'll tell you right now, Tennessee will be more explosive than Oregon. They have a defensive mind to coach and. You know enough about the SEC to remember Bo Nix <laughs> as their quarterback. Fair enough. Who's getting um, Heisman consideration for some reason. This is wild. Now, this one threw me off. Now, last week there was another list that had Tennessee second to this team in the SEC in explosiveness. And I want to know where you come in, Dave, on this. Georgia's on this list. Now, I know Georgia's got a great offense, but I never thought of their offense as explosive. But a lot of people think it's going to be explosive this year. No, they actually scored a lot more points last year when Stetson Bennett came into his own. It all comes down to Carson Beck. And Carson Beck's more of an unknown than Joe Milton, so I would lean towards Tennessee in that regard. Georgia is is sneaky explosive, if that makes sense. Um, they're still going to run the football. Who else is on there? Yeah, I'm dropping them, though, because uh, they have a new offensive coordinator by the name of Mike Bobo that I think every Tennessee fan should celebrate, and he's not going to be explosive. No, you're not a Mike Bobo fan. Uh, the rest I of it is brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. Zen Sports is the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days. 
when you sign up with the code hooked hooked that's right unlimited five percent cash back keep betting keep earning with up to three percent cash back on your betting volume every month after that and refer friends as well and you can earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too zen sports bringing the cash back to tennessee so if you bet big on sports you want to be betting on zen sports zen sports betting just got better who else is on the list all right, so I think this is a living in the past name because it's Alabama, and I don't think Alabama is going to be on this list this year. You know, I think they'll be more explosive than last year because I think they had a down year in skill position players, but you don't have Bryce Young who bailed them out. So, And I think they want to dial it down and be more ball control. So it surprises me that they're even on this list. Yeah, I think this is a – this seems like uh, this is who Alabama's been the last 10 years under Nick Saban, so we just think they're going to be that way. And I'm with you. I think that I, I'm more – I think they're trying to slow it down a lot, and I don't think they have a quarterback to be explosive. Um, on the other end, there's uh, Florida State. I'm low on Florida State, but even though I'm low on them, I could still see their offense being explosive with Jordan Travis and playing in the ACC. In the ACC, yes. The last the last words you said are the most significant to me. Who else? Yes. Uh I, I always Josh he, Josh Heupel Circle West uh, USC. Yeah, they're going to be explosive. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean you've got the Heisman Trophy winner. That was the one you were going to mention. That's really tough to make an argument against. I mean you've got the Heisman Trophy winner. So who else? Yeah, exactly. And then another one that shocked me, Michigan. That's a ball control team. They're not explosive, really, are they? Don't get that at all. Don't get that at all. So how many do we have left? Because I've got Tennessee around the top five right now. That's that's all twelve. I just oh wait no sorry sorry there's two more there's two more excuse me I, okay. I misread uh, Texas on there um, I am very low on Texas very low on Steve Sarkeesian and very low on Quinn Ewers and I want to address that later in the show but yes so Tennessee quarterback issues no way um, so and what was the last one last one is Ohio State and they have a track record so I'll give them that um yeah but, and they have great. They just have great receiver play. Um, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I mean, we know, but we don't know if he's going to be as good. So where would you put Tennessee on that list if you were ranking them? I mean, in terms of explosiveness, okay, so Ohio, the only teams that have a case are Ohio State, USC. Um, I, I, that's it. And, and maybe LSU, depending on how what system they run. I got Tennessee at either third or fourth on the list. of those. 12. I do too. I think they're a solid top five. It would it Easily. would surprise me at the end of the season. Because, listen, if Joe Milton doesn't pan out, they're going to make the move to Nico. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. You guys can jump on me on the message board if you want to as a Joe Milton hater. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think Josh Heupel would be scared to pull the trigger whatsoever. So uh, there we go. So Tennessee should have one of the top five most explosive offenses in the nation this upcoming season why because of a group of receivers that we think is pretty good but actually not getting a lot of respect tennessee not in the top 10 their receiving core for 2023 with h what the what was he thinking release the house the dave hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports.com Okay, this is one of those, when we do our 3.45 a.m. production meeting, that 
I don't give a lot of input with Caleb because I think we may see it legitimately different. So Tennessee is not in the top 10 receiving core in the nation. Here are the teams that are Ohio state. I mean, they've got three first round picks. I just don't know how you could argue Ohio state against anybody. Uh, the Texas Longhorns. Then you have Washington, you have Georgia, you have Florida state, you have USC, you have Oregon, you then have LSU, uh, you have Texas A&M, and lastly, you have Alabama. I'm going to make the argument right now, because I have a feeling you're going to go the other way. I don't think Tennessee should be in the top 10. And because we know that Dante Thornton um, has ability, has proven it, but does he make the transition? you're more likely to make the transition as a transfer than you were 20 years ago, right? But still, there is that question. Squirrel White, could he have a sophomore slump? Uh, I think Brew McCoy is the most talented receiver, if not player, on this team in terms of NFL ability. Um, But but let's see. He's yet to do it. He has an offseason. So I would kind of have, if I were writing this list, I would have an asterisk next to Tennessee. And I would say if, if every one of their ifs come through and if Squirrel White is as good as we think, if Dante Thornton is as good as we think, if Brew McCoy comes into his own, but I don't have a problem with them not being on the top 10 list. I think they will be a top five sort of wide receiver group at the end of the year. But when you lose two guys to the NFL and Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, it's not a great surprise to me that they're not in the top 10. You? I can't be upset at the list because pro football focus isn't some, you know, they, they don't kowtow to narratives. They are, they are, they do an analytical approach. I mean, they grade these receivers and they give them grades and things like that. And so this isn't based on any, Oh, we don't think Tennessee's there. No, this is based on actual numbers and raw data that puts Tennessee out of the top 10. And by the way, when you were all PFF is just throwing us massive curveballs. Not only does Tennessee not have a top 10 wide receiver unit, according to PFF, but they have the highest graded returning safety in all of football. So maybe the secondary will be Tennessee's strength this year. I'm kidding, but <laughs> um, yeah, switch up for sure. Yeah. Wesley Walker was the highest graded returning safety, but yeah, it's in the SEC that is. Um, I still think this is going to be top 10 though. And I don't blame pro football focus for not putting it in there. But based on projections, I don't think it's. I don't think we can debate this is going to be a top. I don't. I think it's hard to argue this is going to be top ten. Okay, yes, they lose the ribbing, the uh, Bolitnikov Award winner. Fine. I don't really count Cedric Tillman as a loss. Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton were the starters for most of the year last year at Whiteout, so I think that Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton are. They returned their go-to Whiteouts on both sides. Squirrel White proved more than enough in plenty of games last year. And Dante Thornton, if I, I disagree with you about the transition. Now, I think the transition is actually harder for a receiver than a quarterback in Josh Heupel's system. I still think it's a pretty easy transition, though. I mean, you're just schemed to run bare a lot of times and get wide open down the sideline. I mean, it's, as long as you as long as you got speed, which he's got, I don't think there's a lot of stuff to learn in Josh Heupel's system at receiver. No, I agree. It's a, it's a reading safety sort of thing. It's not terribly difficult. Uh, Travis says, I want to put this up on the board because this is kind of a controversial take, but it's absolutely true. 
after Pitt, Tillman was inconsequential. That's very true. Uh, he was injured for most of the season. Hyatt was overrated. The receiver crew is way better this year. That's a bold statement, but one that I'm not going to disagree with because in that slot position, you expect somebody to get wide open like Jalen Hyatt did last year, don't you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, that's the scheme. Do they have the – so Hyatt is not as quick on the 40 time, like right off the jump. But his, I guess, would you say like his long distance, his acceleration at like 30, 40 yards, that's where he started to beat guys there. Can other slot receivers do that? I, I, I that That's where the question comes into play. Because Hyatt was that so is, good at winning the distance runs. Yeah, that is a very good question. Does he turn, I mean, do they have a guy who turns the 20s into 50s? Um, I don't know, but it also wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they had a guy who's ultra quick, like a squirrel white, that is is able to keep moving the chains. But don't you think Dante Thornton can be similar? I, I know we're saying we're talking about a Blitnikoff award winner, but don't you think that Dante Thornton could be close to Jalen Hyatt? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I'm pulling up. So Hyatt's 100-meter dash, funny enough, because I think the 100-meter dash matters than the 40 time if we're judging receiver speed at slot and hypo system, quite honestly. And Hyatt's 100-meter dash is 10.46. I'm pulling up Thornton's best 100-meter dash, and there's not – okay, it, yeah, see, this is the thing. Uh, it, it's reportedly just over 11, which is still fast. Oh, sorry, this is a different Dante Thornton. Excuse me. Um, his Dante – no, this is it. This is it. The same Dante Thornton. Okay, yeah, it's just over 11. So and, – and Squirrel White's is like 10.68. So Hyatt has the fastest 100-meter dash of these guys, and 100-meter dash matters more than the 40 time in terms of getting open down the field. So it's hard to know – if they can do it now, Thornton doesn't have to be as fast in the slot because he's got a size advantage. I mean, who's going to guard him one on one? I I don't know. Another take from the message board where uh, Rocky Top Tom said uh, Hyatt isn't overrated. He fit the system like a hand in glove. That's not being overrated. That's perfectly fitting a system and excelling in it. I can I, I, I jive with that too. I think you're both right, but I think there are other people that can do that. It's kind of like a running back in the NFL. I think there are other people that can step in and do that, what Hyatt did last year. I'm not saying he's going to break every sort of record, and I think it's going to be split. I made a couple of phone calls over vacation. I think it's going to be a little split between Hyatt and, uh, I'm sorry, um, Squirrel and Thornton. So I don't think that you're going to have a situation in which Hyatt's just kind of the guy, and he had to be the guy uh, last year. But um, that surprises me that uh, Jalen Hyatt's, and you said his 100 meter was what again? It was 10.46, I believe, which was much faster than Thornton's or Squirrel White's. Squirrel White's was, I think, 10.68, and Thornton's was 11.02. Yeah, but right now, if you had to pick between Squirrel White and Dante Thornton in this offense, who would you take? That's an that's a whole different question, isn't it? That's, I, well, I was driving the the Dante Thornton train the whole time, and then spring practice happened, and it looked like Squirrel White did not give up his position at all, and so I I, I can't really knock Squirrel White at that point. So at, at this point, I'm going Squirrel White. And you know Dante Thornton, that's not incredibly fast. You know how how fast Fred White ran when he came to UT as a cornerback, not a safety. 
40 time or 100 meter? 100 meter. I'm going to go, I don't know. What is it? I'm, I have no idea. I, I don't want to disrespect Fred White by seeing it wrong. So I know. Don't call him an overachiever either. 10.2. So 10 point. that's, I mean, that's faster than Jalen Hyatt's. Yeah, he was world. He was he was winning like track and track events all over the country. I don't a lot know of people don't think a lot of people don't think of Fred like that. Could you imagine him as a receiver? I mean, just like throw it down the field and he's going to catch it. I mean, he's him and this system playing receiver would be um, incredible. So it's funny you bring this up about receiver though. So I'm curious in Josh Heupel's system. Is receiver truly like running back? So, for instance, if this is an NFL team and Josh Heupel's your NFL coach, it does a receiver carry the same value as a running back in the sense, you know, the best value deals you can do is trade a running back for a lot of draft picks in the NFL. Do you do that with receivers if you if you're, have this team in the NFL? Because are they replaceable? Uh, yeah. I want to – I'm going to say no. Because they're they're replaceable, but if something would have happened to Jalen Hyatt, he had figured things out. I think that would have been a transition period. I think you would have had a two or three game transition period in the middle of the year with the best team's defense on the field. But let me ask you this. If if Tennessee, if one guy decided to transfer tomorrow, Squirrel White or Dante Thornton, which would hurt Tennessee more? And it's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Andy Mason is absolutely the best. He's my realtor, should be yours. Best service, best prices in the biz. It's just that simple, andymasonrealestate.com. I'm about to purchase a home, and Andy's the first guy I call right after the pre-approval. Okay, so if one of those guys traded, because I don't say hurt, I hate, I hate saying that. Um, but if one of those guys... Uh, traded out teams, and they said, I'm going to transfer because I'm not happy with Squirrel slash Dante. Which loss would hurt Tennessee more? God, that's a tough one. That's, I, I'm going to say Dante. See, I, come, just because... I come back from vacation throwing high, hot heat. <laughs> he does. I'm going to say Dante just because Dante can fill a void at, e at slot or whiteout. I mean, if, da if you lose Dante, mm. that's, that's losing a – what, what, okay, so say Dante's gone. What if you lose Ramel or Brew? Well, that's where you really could have used Dante. So it's, I mean, he can fill, play multiple positions. So I'm going to say Dante. Okay, well, you kind of changed my mind on the fly. But my argument for Squirrel would be this, is that I like his shiftiness at that slot receiver position. I think he's going to move some chains. I also think he's going to do some end-around things. I think he'll do some other creative things. I think he'll do some little slip screens that maybe he's better equipped to do than Dante Thornton. So I will say Squirrel White, but the ability to play multiple positions certainly gives me pause for thought. No question about that. So uh, Totally also, random. Yes. Oh, sorry. What were we okay. going to say? Sure. I was going to say, on a total random side, who is the last irreplaceable NFL running back? Like an NFL running back that you shouldn't trade for picks or value, that you should open the checkbook for? There's nobody. I mean, Saquon, Saquon Barkley's, what, the last great running back? I was going to go, like, even before that. Like, would you say maybe Barry Sanders was that? I mean, or Adrian Peterson? Yeah, different game. Um, if you're talking about today's I'm saying, game. I'm saying, I'm saying historically, who's the last irreplaceable NFL running back? That if you have him, you don't, you don't trade him for anything. 
Well, now, I wouldn't want my Cowboy fandom to come out, but Emmett Smith squeezed every yard out of every run that he ever had. He also ran behind the most massive offensive line in history that – I, come on. <laughs> other, other than that, he was uh, he's yeah, Travis says Emmett as well. Barry Sanders made the Lions a somewhat running team, so I would say Barry Sanders. Modern era where they're throwing it all over the field. There's not a guy. There's just not. Uh, you want to take Saquon Barkley? You want to argue that he's the best running back over the past five years or so? I'll take that, but th- there is no way. The Giants wouldn't trade him for what? Two first round picks? A first and a second? Would Three you say Adrian, seconds? Would you say Adrian Peterson and LT were the same type of value? Like even in their prime, you trade them for two or three first round picks? That's just towards the tail end of that era where they still ran the football. So I still think they're valuable then. I think when it went passing, that those guys aren't as valuable. I'm going to be in my first fantasy football league team, and I, I don't know how to pick running backs this year. I haven't been in one in years. Uh, and running back, you always pick first in fantasy football because they carry the most fantasy football points. And so right. now quarterback has now taken over a little bit, but still running back touchdowns are worth more than quarterback touchdowns. Right. You know the one guy who was I went completely out in left field all by himself and picked a receiver. I'm sorry, he picked a – Quarterback number one and a receiver number two and won the league. Do you want to guess who that was? Somebody picked Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas. No, it was uh, – I'll give you a hint. Their first names are Tom and Randy. 2007 Tom Brady, Randy Moss. And it circles back to – it was Fred White. And I called him absolutely crazy for not taking a running back number one. He goes, you wait and see. And he won the league because they set every record known to man. Because the Patriots offense was this complex system of, you know, receiver quarterback combo and they do all that. And then on the outside, they just got this guy that can just win one-on-one, just straight, simple down the sideline all the time. And it's like, Hey man, if the West Welker guy's not open in the slot, just, you know, just chuck it up. Randy also make a play. <laughs> Pretty much uh, two minutes. And then I'm going to tell you not only who our next celebrate 98 guest will be. And it was incredibly entertaining. I recorded that on vacation so it's going to drop today and then a prediction by a national writer that says that the automatic bids for a 12-team college football playoff are for the big 10 and sec no doubt about it and i tend to agree with him stay tuned or non non-automatic i should have said two minutes back with you he's caleb calhoun i'm dave Hooker. To own the more that owns every job, then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. 
Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off The Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. So, if you haven't followed it closely, because it's still a year off, I understand. But here's how the college football playoff is going to work. Six highest-rated conference champions determined by the college football playoff committee will receive automatic bids. The next six highest-rated teams will get at-large bids. The four highest-rated conference champions will receive buys into the quarterfinals. First-round games will be played at the home stadium of the team with the better seat. Okay. So what I want to address is number two on that bullet point list. The next six highest rated teams will get an at-large spot. So a guy that we like, Joe Klatt, quite a bit, said they are effectively, two of those spots are effectively reserved for the Big Ten and the SEC. No, all six of them. All six of the at-large spots. So they're going to – well, I, I'm not following then. So all – what Joel Klatt is predicting is that so there's the, it's the top six conference champions, which you're going to have the SEC and the Big Ten be among the top six every year. Okay, so we're um, at six. We're at six, and then he said the other six at large bids. He thinks basically what's going to happen is that the, it's basically just going to be for the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, it's going to be almost reserved for the rest of the best of the Big Ten or the SEC. So the all six at-large bids will be just Big Ten and SEC teams almost. Okay, I want to play a little game here. It's called Should Have or Will It. it it's workshopping, okay, admittedly, right here on the air. So um, should it? Um, no. I mean, not all – I mean, you could argue that the next six best teams are from the SEC and Big Ten. And I would have zero problem if it shook out with that happening. But let's look at the ACC, for instance. Whether or not Clemson or Florida State wins that conference, if they're both knocking at the door, how are they not going to be included? Um, So I, I don't... 
I don't see that. I don't see how all six could go to the Big Ten and the SEC. And you're going to get politics involved. So does the ACC and Pac-12, 10, whatever they are, uh, do they have as much pull and power as the SEC or Big Ten? Heck no. Caleb, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I don't think that's the case. But I will tell you this. There's going to be enough politicking for, for those conferences to keep the entire nation involved in this playoff. So, no, I don't think all six will ever be just Big Ten and SEC. Do you? No. And let's go with last year. Uh, if, if this were to be ha- to have happened last year, the the six conference champions would have been Georgia, Michigan, um, Clemson, Utah, Kansas State, and Tulane. The six at large would have been TCU, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, USC, and Penn State. So four of the six would have been reserved for the SEC and the Big Ten because you would have had Alabama and Tennessee and Ohio State and Penn State all get in. But then you would have had USC as a runner-up and TCU as a runner-up also get into the playoff. So I think Joel Klatt has a point, though. Look, I just I, I'm reading this, as I'm reading this to you now, Dave, USC's in the Big Ten and going to be in the Big Ten in 2024. So right, that's and I almost said – I almost said the same thing about Texas and Oklahoma. That they'll be they'll be in the SEC. Um, I just can't imagine. Okay, let's let's take a look at last year. All right, who would be if if we're going if we're going to those automatic or non automatic bids go to SEC and Big Ten? Who are we arguing from the SEC that's in Georgia, um, Alabama, Tennessee? Yes. And then the next team in there would have been LSU, but they're down at number 17. And I don't think anybody thought LSU should have been in last year after what happened in the SEC title game. Okay. And Big Ten's even easier. Okay. Because on a good year, it's going to be Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. I don't know who the best team is in the Big Ten. Well, again, it's going to be USC, but (laughs) until then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So USC, I'm sorry. So let's say we have four. Okay, so – I don't see how you get to six in the Big Ten, and I think it would take a special year in the SEC as far as but wins you, and losses. Yeah, because what we're talking about here is it's going to be it would be eight teams total from those two conferences because the two conference champions plus six at large teams total. So we're talking like effectively the top four teams in each conference getting into the playoff. I think that's more possible than than you, Dave, only because I, I got to be honest. I do think the playoff committee, and they should do this. You know, you're already, there's so much democracy at work to allow six conference champions, which is, in a 12-team playoff, is kind of laughable. Because, one, they already give priority to conference champions. So the idea that Tulane at number 17 or wherever should have been one of the automatic bids was it's hilarious to think about. I think what this opens the door for them to do is this opens the door for them and the playoff committee to say, Hey, yeah, we're going to give preferential treatment to the nine and three Big Ten team over the eleven and one ACC team, and if you got a problem with that, you should have won the ACC. You can't say we didn't. Ex- you can't say we excluded you because you could have won your conference to get in. This is a way for them. I think I've said this for a while. The college football playoff is actually a way for them to more favor the bigger teams, which has been a conspiracy of the you know oh my god let Boise State in. They've been they have this theory that the smaller teams are discriminated against somehow. And what I'm trying to make the case is I think the expanded playoff 
is actually just an excuse to more favor the big teams so they can shut the smaller teams complaining up, really. That's fair. Um, I don't see a day that there are four Big Ten teams that can make this thing. I mean, there would have been last year. What? There would have been last year. That's what I'm talking about. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and USC all would have made it last year. Yeah, but left out USC again. Uh, Well, I mean, the more we work through the argument, I I guess he's got a point. I think the SEC will beat up on each other, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Are you going to take a 9-3 and SEC team for an at-large bid or a 10-2 and ACC team for an at-large bid? You're taking the 9-3 and SEC team. Yeah, Every I time. would too. I would too. And on the message where Travis, I don't think USC is better than Ohio State and Michigan. Just if, if I misspoke there, I, I, I think they're very comparable to Penn State. Very. Um, and I think Ohio State and Michigan will still rule the roost in the Big Ten, even with USC and UCLA in there. So um, I, I, I just, I believe politics will keep this from happening. I believe that they'll get a, a second team, be it Oregon or Washington or whoever, that will bring you in more TV viewers nationwide. I think politics will be involved. And I think the politics is the automatic conference bids. That's the politics of it. Because there shouldn't be six conference champions playing for this thing. Right, but I'm talking about moving forward. If they're in a room and they say, hey there, um, we've, we've got this 12th team. And we can go with Oregon or we can go with LSU or Southern California. Um, I think they would go with Oregon. See, I don't or think Washington. They would. I they don't I think no, I, I think I think when it's four and five, they can choose that path of least resistance and go politics a little more. Or they or they feel like they have to. I don't think they feel that I look, I don't think this committee. I don't think they want to do that. I think they want to go with the best teams and they know the best teams are in the SEC and the Big Ten. I think the 12-team playoff allows them to do that. They don't have to worry about politicking anymore because they can go to Oregon and they can say, hey, you, you're mad you're not in. You should have won your conference. And they can just straight up say that to them now. No, very fair. Uh, very fair. I, I agree with all that you just said. Here's the other thing that we haven't factored in. Nobody has traveled like Southern California is going to travel and UCLA are going to travel. How much of a wear and tear does that have on the body in November? Now I know these are young men, but I can tell you that I got wear and tear just driving to Florida and back. So, and that, you know, you're going to have to go out there probably a Thursday night, stay a Friday. I mean, does USC and UCLA, do they lose a game just because they are making this unprecedented travel schedule. I think one of the two every year will. I think they'll cruise out to Rutgers, bad example, but they'll cruise out to Rutgers and, or maybe it's a Penn State or maybe it's an Iowa or who, whoever. Uh, no, not, not Iowa. Who, who's a, who's a middle of Penn, Penn State and Ohio State are both on Eastern time. So that is a three hour time difference between USC and Ohio State or Penn State. Yeah, and just being on the plane. So I think that'll I think that'll cost them a game a year. Uh and yeah, and I'm gonna and, and Travis said too, going back, not bouncing back uh between topics, he said they'll never allow four SEC and four big team big ten teams in the same playoff. I tend to agree with that, right or wrong. But I mean, 
isn't that going to cost them a game that much travel having to come east? I mean, yes, but you could also say it might cost one of those teams a game having to fly out to USC for a game every now and then because it's I think about the, let's go with the NFL for a minute. Let's say, you know, the NFC and the AFC West, like let's take the AFC West, for instance, Kansas City is in Missouri and then the rest of the teams are on the West Coast. I don't really think it messes with Kansas City to have to fly out to those to play those games. Now it's not so. I mean, now again, losses aren't as impactful in the NFL, but I would say now losses aren't going to be as impactful in college football. If you're in the SEC or the Big Ten, a loss is not like a loss in an NFL season, rather than what it used to be in a college football season. I'll say one thing: I know they that every school has chartered flights. But if USC and UCLA don't have a plane that says fight on or go Bruins or something so that when they fly into town, it's more marketing dollars, they're missing out on something big. They should make USC and UCLA showing up in your town a big deal. Because let's face it, a lot of the Big Ten cities are really boring. So, yeah, you show up and you got the camera guys and you make sure that sports information knows about this and the camera guys are shooting and they're good to go. And they're excited. And then you've created an event, not just a football game. It's funny. That's what fans hate it. I will never forget during the college, during the USC raid in the mid 2000s, your, tra- your traditional SEC and Big Ten fans hated the Hollywood nature of USC. But it's like Pete Carroll was so smart. He embraced that. He knew the Hollywood aspect of USC is what would sell USC to recruits and keep the kids in California rather than going to Colorado. And do you remember that, Dave? Remember how how, how much that annoyed SEC fans, the, the Hollywood love of USC? But it's like, why wouldn't they take advantage of that? You take advantage of your of what you have. Amen. A- a- amen. And I think when they fly in, I would have a big red and gold plane. I don't know that UCLA is committed enough to do that. But has Snoop Dogg honestly, getting off first and shaking hands with everybody? Yep. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm not even joking. That's what I would do because you need to grow your recruiting footprint. There are a lot of guys, let's face it, that are born in Pennsylvania. And if you went to them and say, you can play in the Big Ten, your parents can see you, and you can play in L.A. with that type of money. They're going to cruise. I mean, Southern California might never win a Big Ten title, but they're going to affect Michigan and Ohio State's recruiting. There is no question. Yeah, and they, they, Southern USC is almost, almost. I'm not going to go here, but they're almost a Notre Dame where they have to go national because, for despite all the talent in California, Dave, you know, this California is the anti Louisiana. Kids in California don't feel any loyalty to that state, to staying in that state to play college football whatsoever. They'll go wherever to play, usually. No, you're right. Portions of the program brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. Whether or not you're coming from uh, Knoxville, Nashville, Chattanooga, Bassey Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. Toro, count on it. That is Bassey Lawn and Garden in Cleveland, Tennessee. So certainly uh, check them out. And then we got coaches with no national titles ranked ahead of Josh Heupel. Now this, according to 247 Sports. And I don't have a problem with two of the names that might surprise you. But the three ahead of Josh Heupel are Steve Sarkeesian, Mike Norvell, and Ryan Day. Ryan Day, even though you and I see holes in that, has accomplished more than Josh Heupel to this point. 
I got no problem with that. Steve Sarkeesian, I think it's a coin flip. If I were an AD, I would hire Josh Heupel over Sarkeesian, but I think that's a coin flip. And then Mike Norvell kind of surprises me. What do you make of those three cats being ahead of Josh Heupel? If you're an AD, in what order are they on your list as your next head football coach? They're all behind Josh Heupel to me. I think the coin flip are the other three. So the other three are Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, and Jim Harbaugh. Lincoln Riley is my coin flip. I got Brian Kelly and Jim Harbaugh maybe a little bit ahead of Heupel. I think Heupel is clear-cut significantly better than Ryan Day, Mike Norvell, and Steve Sarkeesian. And I think Steve Sarkeesian and Mike Norvell, those bother me the most. Mike Norvell just stands out to me the worst. I mean, again, the guy had one 10-3 season at Florida State, and we're acting like he's he's Nick Saban down there now. I mean, I think he's the most overrated coach on this list, and I'm having trouble figuring, figuring out who's more overrated between him, Sark, and Ryan Day. Because I just think all three of them, I think people are figuring out that Ryan Day is overrated, but they're still ranking him based on accomplishments. But, Dave, if you're starting a program, Ryan Day's nowhere near the first person I'm calling if you're trying to rebuild a program. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debate that with you, and I'm going to tell you why. And it's brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. They've got the chill pills with the CBD derivative. Please use the promo code off the hook. That's off the hook. Be nice if we get, get all these promo codes to be the same one. But off the hook and you'll get 20% off. Uh, they've got the chill pills with the CBD that helps with your pet's arthritis. Also can help with your pet's anxiety and uh, help with your pet's digestive issues. Again, crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. Um, Caleb, I think we sometimes forget that Ryan Day took over that Ohio State program when Urban Meyer was essentially disgraced and being shown the door. They handled it publicly as classy as they could but that was their move josh heupel's taking over took over a program that was a complete disarray i think that sometimes you sell ryan day short a little bit on what he's done do we think he's an upper level head coach like a championship multiple championship winning head coach like kirby smart or nick saban no but don't we have to give ryan day a little bit more credit for keeping that ship going in the right direction in a serious transition period where it could have gone south. No, because I don't think it's that hard. No, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's that hard to keep the Ohio State ship going. Okay, I'm going to say this. I've said a million times, LSU is the best job in America, and that's why Ed Orgeron could win a national championship there. I don't think Ed Orgeron could win a national championship at Ohio State, but I bet he could win a Big Ten title every year. Like they, just because of the nature of recruiting in Ohio State and the lack of competition in the Big Ten, and I'm sorry, this day and age with recruiting, going two years in a row without a Big Ten title is a major, major black mark. On right, you should never, you should win it at least every other year if you're Ryan Day. And I, look, Dave, come on, be honest. Between me and you, how much better of a job is Ohio State than Michigan? I think significantly. Yes, significantly. Uh, Michigan has a little bit of that we're too good to be playing football sort of thing. Um, and Ohio State fully accepts it in, in that state. And and really, there are NFL teams there, that. but I, I, I've worked with a, a group out of uh, Ohio, and they're dialed into Ohio State. I'm not sure that Michigan's not split between other teams, even the Lions. Um, and yeah, I think Ohio State's on a significantly higher level 
despite what happened last year than Michigan as far as a football factory that can keep it going. Ohio State just has a ton of talent, Caleb, in that in that state. Yes, and also Detroit kids are about as loyal to Michigan as Memphis kids are to Tennessee, quite honestly, if you know the lay with recruiting up there. I mean, they don't – inner city Detroit feels no connection to the Michigan or Michigan State schools whatsoever. They don't care. And now, they might with basketball. I bet, I bet Detroit kids probably like to go play for Michigan State and Tom Izzo in basketball. But outside of that, they don't care in football. And so they'll go anywhere. And, yeah, Ohio State, they go from Cleveland to Cincinnati to Columbus, and they get anybody they want anywhere in between. And I just – yeah, I think Ohio State is – I think because of how easy a job it is and because of the fact that you're in the Big Ten, I don't think it's that hard to to win the way he's been winning. And I, I do think it's a major – I think it's a, yes. Now, he, to be fair, he played Alabama for the national title in 2020. That season doesn't count. That was the COVID year. I'm not counting anything that happened that year. But outside of that year, hasn't won a college football playoff game. Now, again, I'm going to give him a shout out. Josh Payton brings up a great point. Ohio State almost beat Georgia. If they almost beat Georgia this year, we're having a totally different conversation about Ryan Day. And I, I'll fully concede that. But I just think that. Look, I, I, I think he should have done more to this point. I think Ohio State is way too easy of a job to win it. Especially given that they're in that conference. I mean, you, you could make an argument that LSU and Ohio State are easier, but LSU has uh, easier to win, but LSU has the toughest schedule year yeah. in and year out. By far. Bar none. They play in the SEC West and. Now, you can make an argument for Georgia because there is a debate between the SEC East or the Big Ten East. Because until last year, until Josh Heupel got Tennessee back, the East was really bad. And But it's a little bit different now. But the question becomes, Sarkeesian or another question, Dave, am I wrong in thinking Sarkeesian is overrated too? I just Where is this idea that he's an offensive genius? Because I haven't seen it. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I think he's a solid coach. Does he have the sort of insight um, and the sort of creativity and innovation that a Josh Heupel does? Or, you know, I know we're getting ready to talk about Gus Malzahn and Kevin Sumlin. Um, does he even have that innovation? I don't watch his offense and think, wow, they're doing different things. I ne- never once. Have you? No, never, never. I, I just I saw standard pro style offense, which, again, if you're going to do that, in college, you got to have the Jimmys and Joes. And Texas still hasn't recruited the Jimmys and Joes just yet. No one wants to point that out, but they don't have Jimmys and Joes on the level of Alabama or Georgia. And so you can't – I mean, that's a problem. And, yeah, Mike Norvell – I think – but the clear one, Mike Norvell has no business on this list. That's, that's uh, laughable. Now, before we get to is Josh Heupel just a splash guy, can I share a story real quick? I was talking to Philip Fulmer during my vacation and uh, finish up the book finally. And uh, he said that he's he was going. I think this is so Philip and so funny. He was uh, going to his grandson's practice, and he said essentially he was making sure they don't tackle to the ground in summer. So I'm thinking to myself, driving down the road, how would you like to be a coach and have Philip Fulmer standing on the sidelines, and his grandson is on your team? There's no way you're not thinking he's looking over your shoulder, right? Yeah, of course he's looking exactly. Of course he's looking over your shoulder. Particularly given what we know about Philip Fulmer now and what you told me, he 
basically towards the end of his career at coaching, he was wanting to be a CEO who still was always looking over your shoulder at the same time, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, uh, yeah, I got a chance to talk to him. And uh, by the way, got a book coming out. I'm excited about Celebrate 98 and uh, finishing it up. And, um, you know, one of the things that he told me is that they were not allowed to speak to any of the Florida State players throughout the year. And where did he learn that? Tom Osborne the year before with Nebraska, who he's always looked up to. But the last day they told him that they could just say whatever they wanted to. And they got in Florida State's face at an event. They have all these team events. It's just uh, – uh, great story. Hopefully I do an adequate job of telling it. Four downs now. I mentioned Malzahn and Sumlin as I got sidetracked, but here we go. Four downs brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. How can we be sure Josh Heupel isn't like Gus Malzahn or Kevin Sumlin? What is that thumbnail sketch of those coaches? Cutting-edge offenses that have made early splashes, but eventually they see the success fade as a coach. So let's dive into that right now. What down is it, Cooper Mays? Cooper, first down. Thank you. Why will Josh Heupel fade into the background like Malzahn or someone? So I'm not saying that you believe this, Caleb, but why will he? I think what could happen is there's two ways this could go. One, people figure out Josh Heupel's offense. But another thing, and I think this happened more commonly with Gus Malzahn, so many other SEC teams could start incorporating elements of Heupel's offense into their offense. And that becomes mm. a big problem. And look, the Heibel's offense is getting, I don't know if you know this, it's getting replicated all across the country at lower levels in college football right now. I mean, I think Fordham like hired somebody to just go to Orlando for a, for a summer and study Josh Heibel's offense. And then that guy's got, gotten a job somewhere else. I mean, this is happening. Everybody is studying this offense. And the more people run it, the less ahead of the curve you are. Just like the Oakland A's, by the time everybody else figured out sabermetrics, Billy Bean wasn't that special of a GM. <laughs> yes, and the more defensive-minded coaches are going to be looking at it and finding ways to stop it because they have to play it. So, right. and, and you can learn X's and O's from whoever plays Fordham. But I think you saw South Florida when they hired Alex Golish is obviously they want to replicate it. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think any offensive coach right now, there's going to be an offensive coach on Tennessee staff, and I'm not going to name anybody because I don't really know, but I have an idea. That's going to get a peach job one day. And by Peach, I mean a South Florida top level, and he's not going to be ready. But he's just associated with Tennessee's offense, so he's going to get that job. So that was first down. Why will Josh Heupel fade into the background? How about second down, Coop? Cooper Mays here, second down. Why won't he fade into the background like Malzahn and Sumlin? I'm going to go first on this. First, I was never a big Sumlin guy. I didn't think he did anything that incredibly inventive. I think he had a run of good talent. I would say the same thing for Gus Malzahn, which was most embodied by one of the most dominant quarterbacks that we'll ever see, and that's Cam Newton. 
So I will say he won't fade. Josh Heupel won't because those guys had a talent advantage. Josh Heupel doesn't have that yet. He may one year. But if you look at the plug and play last year, if I would have told you that Cedric Tillman was going to be out 90% of the year, you would have said, oh, that's a big hit. They kept rolling. They plugged people in. So that's why he won't. I think he's just a better X's and O's coach at the end of the day than Malzahn or something. Yeah, I think so too. And I think this is where we, this is why you always bring up the Steve Spurrier comparison, which is a better one because Spurrier, when people figured out his offense, was able to adjust and just call, you know, he was able to just out scheme you a lot of times, even after the fun and gun was figured out. And I think Heifel's more of that mold where, even if this offense is figured out, Heupel's shown a tendency and an ability to adjust. I mean, heck, he adjusted when he started running this offense to begin with. I mean, that was an adjustment on him alone when he went to Utah State. So, I mean, I know that he was asked, you know, the, the, he doesn't like the narrative, by the way, that he was, that he kind of relearned his offense in himself after he got fired. He's more, you ask him, he won't say it out loud, but he thinks he was railroaded by o- Oklahoma. <laughs> but at the same time, I do think there are some changes to what he was doing after he got fired than before. When will we know? What down is that, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. When will we know if he's the real deal or a flash in the pan, Malzahn slash someone? Well, we actually got our first hint last year, and it's good Mm -hmm. news for Tennessee, which is this. Malzahn and Kevin Sumlin, what do they both have in common? Their best year was their first year. And so Malzahn... His one year as Auburn's offensive coordinator won the national title. And then his first year as head coach won the SEC title. Someone's first year, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. So that's that was their first year. Heupel's first year, he went 7-6. and six. Then he went 11-2 and two the next year, which suggests that, okay, he went 7-6. and six. Defenses started to learn about this offense, and they still couldn't figure it. They still couldn't stop it. And so I think but we'll know for sure 2025. I, 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 I say 2025. If there's a... If he hasn't had another top five, if he hasn't had a top five finish or a couple more top 10 finishes by 2025, that's what we'll know. I'm going to say December 2024. We'll know whether or not he's uh, a flash in the pan that got hot with some talent up front, in particular on offense that he inherited, because you have to rebuild that whole offensive line. And if he's able to do that, then I think that's a incredibly positive sign for Tennessee because Tennessee can run the football right now. They've been able to do that and they have to continue to do that to make those safeties concerned and play a little bit too close to the box. So I think we'll actually know in about 16 months, I don't think it'll be that long at all or 18 months or whatever the number would be. So Coop, what down are we at now? Keep us straight. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. That's right. He was all SC center. He wasn't postseason, but that's ridiculous. Final verdict. What is your final verdict? He will be significantly better than Malzahn or Sumlin, or he won't. My final verdict is he will be. And the and the reason for my final verdict is his ability to adjust. But also, I think Tennessee is at a position with NIL and Spire Sports having the largest collective. They're just going to be able to recruit better soon. And I've never said that. I've never believed that Tennessee is a better recruiting job. I never thought it was even top 10. But with, with NIL, Tennessee is right there on Georgia's level in recruiting now because of that collective. 
I know that Butch Jones put together a good year, and I know some people got on board, and I know that we could be dead wrong in 18 months. But I don't even think that Sumlin or Malzahn are on Hypo's level as far as an offensive mind. I think if you want to bring up Spurrier like you did, yes, that's that's the realm we're talking about. I don't even think we're in the same room. I don't even think we're in the same house as those two guys. Could be dead wrong in 18 months when that's when I'll kind of make my determination on long-term success. Right now, I don't even think it's close. I don't think those two names are even in the conversation that's being compared to Josh Hype. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you, particularly with Kevin Sumlittle's more his offense coordinators anyway, because he had Cl- he he never replicated his success after Cliff Kingsbury left, honestly, as Johnny Menzel's offensive coordinator. Now, my question is, is Josh Hype, when you watch this offense, is it a system-based offense in the sense of it's, okay, here's three or four plays for the quarterback and read a safety and you make the decision based on that? Or is it, no, I, is it a spurrier, I'm going to call the play each play, play to play? I think that it's both. I think it's a great system. I think that it also, he is a innately good play caller, which you either are or you aren't. And I know that, you know, there's a debate, was Alex Golish calling the plays and that sort of thing. But essentially, play calling is overrated, which sounds crazy. But I think Josh Heupel is very good at it. And I think he's very good at game planning, too. So I think it's both. I, I mean, I, as far as an offensive coach, and NIL could help him in recruiting. That's that was the question we all had. But as far as an offensive coach, I think he's right up there with with some of the greats. I think this would be a more appropriate conversation if we were talking about Lincoln Riley, for instance, or we were talking about, I know you don't like him and I'm, I'm not real high on him either, but Ryan day, who at least has recruited the talent that's there. And maybe he's not as good of an X's and O's coach, but I just don't see someone or Malzahn at all being in the conversation. Yeah. at this point, I don't, but I would have, th- I would have said Malzahn was in the conversation 10 years ago. I mean, when he had that, sp- I missed the boat on that one. He had that splash year at Auburn, the whole, remember the kick six, Nick Marshall, Alabama. I thought Auburn was going to be a, I thought Auburn was going to take the mantle from Alabama during that time. And man, I got that wrong. Yeah. But in, in retrospect, wasn't that kick six, like the luckiest play of all time. I mean, we've seen it since, but that was the first time that I saw that play actually work. Well, and don't forget the week before Auburn on fourth and like 30 something, like had that tipped pass against Georgia that they caught and went for a touchdown. Like, no, that team was insanely lucky. That's the luckiest team to ever make the national title. I, I, I'll i give you that. But we're, we also have to remember they were so bad the year before Gene Chizik's last year and Chizik gets fired and Malzahn comes in and just to have them in the running late in the year was an impressive feat for him. So I, I can't take Agreed. that away. Agreed. Caleb, I missed you all the uh listeners and posters on the message board missed you too one last chance to hit that like button we really appreciate it and subscribe tomorrow on the program we'll have josh ward and pretty close to announcing our football lineup we'll have josh ward on thursdays we'll have fred white on fridays and a pretty special guest from time to time uh that i'm going to give you a, a little hint maybe on our celebrate 98 series his name might rhyme with Rinser Tiley. 
because there's no better there's no better guy to break it down than Spencer Riley. My first first ever interview, Caleb, way back in the day, I was covering Tennessee basically part time. Spencer Riley comes in there. This is how different it is. He kicks one chair out. He sits down, puts his feet up on another chair, and says to the media, "All right, boys, what do you got?" That's how different it was back then. But he was gold. You could ask him, is it going to be a beautiful day tomorrow? And you'd get a great quote. So we might be working with some Spencer Riley here really soon. So he is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Again, weekdays, we're live at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Whenever you're watching, have a fantastic day off Doug Sports. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply